War and Peace, Book Fourteen, Chapter Ten, read for LibriVox.org. Having returned to the watchman's hut, Petya found Denisov in the passage. He was awaiting Petya's return in a state of agitation, anxiety, and self-reproach for having let him go. "'Thank God!' he exclaimed. "'Yes, thank God!' he repeated, listening to Petya's rapturous account. "'But, devil take you, I haven't slept because of you. "'Well, thank God. Now lie down. We can still get a nap before morning.' "'But no,' said Petya. "'I don't want to sleep yet. Besides, I know myself. If I fall asleep, it's finished. And then I am used to not sleeping before a battle.' He sat a while in the hut, joyfully recalling the details of his expedition and vividly picturing to himself what would happen next day. Then, noticing that Denisov was asleep, he rose and went out of doors. It was still quite dark outside, the rain was over, but drops were still falling from the trees. Near the watchman's hut, the black shapes of the Cossack's shanties and of horses tethered together could be seen. Behind the hut was the dark shapes of the two wagons with their horses beside them, discernible, and in the hollow the dying campfire gleamed red. Not all the Cossacks and hussars were asleep. Here and there, amid the sounds of falling drops, and the munching of the horses nearby, could be heard low voices, which seemed to be whispering. Petya came out, peered into the darkness, and went up to the wagons. Someone was snoring under them, and around them stood saddled horses munching their oats. In the dark Petya recognized his own horse, which he called Karabak though it was of Ukrainian breed, and went up to it. "'Well, Karabak, we'll do some service to-morrow,' said he, sniffing its nostrils and kissing it. "'Why aren't you asleep, sir?' said a Cossack, who was sitting under a wagon. "'No, ah, uh, Likachev, isn't it? Isn't that your name? Do you know I have only just come back? We've been into the French camp.' And Petya gave the Cossack a detailed account not only of his ride, but also of his object." and why he considered it better to risk his life than to act just anyhow. "'Well, you should get some sleep now,' said the Cossack. "'No, I am used to this,' said Petya. "'I say, aren't the flints in your pistols worn out? I brought some with me. Don't you want any? You can have some.' The Cossack bent forward under the wagon to get a closer look at Petya. "'Because I am accustomed to doing everything accurately,' said Petya. "'Some fellows do things just anyhow, without preparation.' and then they're sorry for it afterwards. I don't like that. Just so, said the Cossack. Oh, yes, another thing. Please, my dear fellow, will you sharpen my saber for me? It's got bl Petya feared to tell a lie, and the saber never had been sharpened. Can you do it? Of course I can. Likachev got up, rummaged in his pack, and soon Petya heard the warlike sound of steel on wet stone. He climbed onto the wagon and sat on its edge. The Cossack was sharpening the saber under the wagon. "'I say, are those lads asleep?' asked Petya. "'Some are, and some aren't, like us. "'Well, and that boy? "'Vyaseni? "'Oh, he's thrown himself down there in the passage, "'fast asleep after his fright. "'He was that glad.' "'After that, Petya remained silent for a long time, "'listening to the sounds. "'He heard footsteps in the darkness, "'and a black figure appeared. "'What are you sharpening?' asked a man, "'coming up to the wagon. "'Why, this gentleman's saber.' "'That's right,' said the man, whom Petya took to be a hussar. "'Was that cup left here?' "'There, by the wheel.' The hussar took the cup. "'It must be daylight soon,' said he, yawning, and went away. Petya ought to have known that he was in a forest with Denisov's guerrilla band, less than a mile from the road, sitting on a wagon captured from the French, beside which the horses were tethered, that under it Likachev was sitting, sharpening a saber for him, 
that big dark blotch to the right was a watchman's hut, that the red blotch below to the left was the dying embers of the campfire, that the man who had come for the cup was a hussar who wanted a drink, but he neither knew nor wanted to know anything of all of this. He was in a fairy kingdom where nothing resembled reality. The big dark blotch might really be the watchman's hut, or it might be a cavern leading to the very depths of the earth. Perhaps the red spot was a fire, or it might be the eye of an enormous monster. Perhaps he was really sitting on a wagon, but it might very well be that he was not sitting on a wagon, but on a terribly high tower from which, if he fell, he would have to fall for a whole day, or a whole month, or go on falling and never reach the bottom. Perhaps it was just the Cossack, Likachev, who was sitting under the wagon, but it might be the kindest, bravest, most wonderful, most splendid man in the world, whom no one knew of. It might really have been that the hussar came for water and went back into the hollow, but perhaps he had simply vanished, disappeared altogether, or dissolved into nothingness. Nothing Petya could have seen now would have surprised him. He was in a fairy kingdom where everything was possible. He looked up at the sky and the sky was a fairy realm like the earth. It was clearing, and over the tops of the trees clouds were swiftly sailing as if unveiling the stars. Sometimes it looked as if the clouds were passing, and a clear black sky appeared. Sometimes it seemed as if the black spaces were clouds. Sometimes the sky seemed to be rising high, high overhead, and then it seemed to sink low, so that no one could touch it with one's hand. Petya's eyes began to close, and he swayed a little. The trees were dripping, quiet talking was heard. The horses neighed and jostled one another. Some snored. Ozeg, zeg, ozeg, zeg, hissed the saber against the wet stone, and suddenly Petya heard a harmonious orchestra playing some unknown, sweetly solemn hymn. Petya was as musical as Natasha, and more than Nicholas, but had never learned music or thought about it, and so the melody that unexpectedly came to his mind seemed to him particularly fresh and attractive. The music became more and more audible. The melody grew and passed from one instrument to another. And what played was a fugue, though Petya had not the slightest conception of what a fugue is, each instrument now resembling a violin, now a horn, but better and clearer than a violin or a horn, played its own part. And before it had finished, the melody merged with another instrument, that began almost the same air and then with a third and a fourth, and they all blended into one again and became separate, and again blended, now into solemn church music, now into something dazzlingly brilliant and triumphant. Oh, why! That was in a dream, Petya said to himself as he lurched forward. It's in my ears, but perhaps it's music of my own? Well, go on, my music. Now he closed his eyes, and from all sides, as if from a distance, sounds fluttered grew into harmonious, separated, blended, and again all mingled, into the same sweet and solemn hymn. Oh, this is delightful! As much as I like, and as I like, said Petya to himself. He tried to conduct that enormous orchestra, now softly, softly die away, and the sounds obeyed him, now fuller, more joyful, still more and more joyful, and from an unknown depth rose increasingly triumphant sounds, now voices join in, ordered Petya, and at first from afar he heard men's voices, and then women's. The voices grew in harmonious, triumphant strength, and Petya listened to their surpassing beauty and awe and joy. With a solemn and triumphal march there mingled a song, the drip from the trees and the hissing of the saber, Ozek, Seg, Seg, 
and again the horses jostled one another and neighed, not disturbing the choir but joining in it. Pieta did not know how long this lasted. He enjoyed himself all the time, wondered at his enjoyment, and regretted that there was no one to share it. He was awakened by Likachev's kindly voice. "'It's ready, Your Honor. You can split a Frenchman in half with it.' Pieta woke up. "'It's getting light. It's really getting light!' he exclaimed. The horses that had previously been invisible could now be seen to their very tails, and a watery light showed itself through the bare branches." Pietya shook himself, jumped up, took a rouble from his pocket, and gave it to Likachev. Then he flourished the sabre, tested it, and sheathed it. The Cossacks were untying their horses and tightening their saddle girths. "'And here's the commander,' said Likachev. Genisov came out of the watchman's hut and, having called Pietya, gave orders to get ready. End of chapter 10